Hello, everybody. Welcome to INE Live. Today is Tech Tuesday here at INE. I'm thrilled to be with you here today, answering your questions about all things networking. We have three of our incredible experts here with us today. I'll introduce them in just a moment. First, a couple of housekeeping items as we do each time we stream here on INE Live. I want to let you know that we are streaming live across social media platforms right now, including LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Be sure to like and subscribe on the social media platform you're using so you can stay in the loop when we do go live. And we want you to get involved. Talk to us. Talk to others. We'd love to see that. Our team is monitoring chat and it is already really active. We have a great stream for you here today. Rand Cooley, Sajad Ghafoury, James, Gris uh, James Driscoll, we see you a set in Kazakhstan and Lorado in South Africa. Good evening to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Our team is monitoring chat. If you have a question, drop it in. If you have, if you have a comment, drop it in. If you have a question, go ahead and put a cue at the beginning so we can get to those questions easily and we'll get to as many as we can today. And with that, I'll bring in our crew for today. Brian McGann, first up. Brian is INE's Director of Networking Content and a true legend in the industry. He's a four-time CCIE who has been with INE for 20 years helping thousands of students achieve their professional goals. Rohit Partisani, also here with us today, senior network architect and instructor here at INE, as well as a five-time CCIE. Rohit, thanks for being here. And Keith Bogart here as well. Keith is a technical training instructor at INE and has earned his CCIE as well. You'll no doubt recognize all three from their many courses and boot camps. Gentlemen, welcome in to Tech Tuesday. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us, Catherine. So um, to just to get yeah, just to get started, to um, I figure we will uh, we'll go round robin and just you know I gave brief introductions, but I'd love for each of you to kind of introduce yourselves and give a little bit of background on kind of what you do now and how you got to where you are today. Brian, let's start with you. Yeah, uh, guys. So my name is Brian McGann. You may know me from such videos as CCI routing and switching. Um, so I've been with INE since the beginning, since back in 2003, uh, when I first started doing boot camps and writing workbooks for INE. I've uh, been doing training for a number of years, uh, as well as consulting on the side. And today I'm the director of networking content uh, in charge of our strategy for everything networking here at INE. Awesome. Brian, thank you. Rohit, let's hear it from you. Hi, everyone. I am Rohit Pardasani. I have been with INE for five years now, and I have five CCIs, CCI Route Switch, Security, Voice Collaboration, and Service Provider. Um, I just like technology and just like learning new things, so that's just my jam. <laughs> All right, Keith, a little introduction. All right, hey, everybody. Uh, so, yeah, I've been with INE uh, for about six, going on seven years now. Uh, my specialty is primarily in the CCNA and CCNP enterprise space. Uh, before INE, I was with Cisco for a better part of 20 years uh, as both a TAC engineer and uh, an instructor over there, and look forward to your questions today. Awesome. Uh, well, needless to say, uh, some great minds here today, and we already have a ton of questions coming in, so I'm going to go ahead and get right to some of these audience questions. Um, and, and actually, all three of you, if you can, can each give your take on each of these questions, that'd be great. We're going to start with Damien, who is uh, watching today on YouTube. Damien asks, what is the main difference between bandwidth and MPPS based on which we should choose a device? Brian, you want to start? 
Yeah, so the difference really between them is almost a marketing difference where bandwidth would be in terms of like one gigabit per second or 10 gigabits per second based on the port speed. But the packets per second is really what the performance numbers of the router or the switch are going to be based on. So in today's networks, you see that most switches are called uh, line rate switches, which means they're able to forward uh, at the port speed, like 10 gigs or 100 gigs in, in newer switches. Um, but for the routing platforms, a lot of the times once you start to enable features like uh, firewall filters, like an access list or a network address translation, that starts to slow the router's processing down. So most of the vendors will publish their specifications both in the bandwidth and the uh, the MPPS, the million number of packets per second that you can actually forward. Uh, Keith, Rohit, do you guys uh, on the same page with that have anything to add to that one? I think Keith, uh, I think Brian said everything that I could think of and I completely agree with him that it's a marketing gimmick. Yeah, I, I would also add to that that, you know, a lot of times when you're well, reading data sheets and white papers and stuff on various pieces of hardware written by marketing folks, uh, a lot of times uh, millions of packets per second is a term that's not usually used towards interfaces, but it's usually a term referenced to the forwarding engine of the device. In other words, how many packets per second can that CPU or forwarding engine or ASIC, whatever it is, actually look up? And of course, the higher the number, the faster it can look up packets. Whereas bandwidth is typically more used for interfaces and whereas packets per second is not really considering your layer two header, right? Whether it's ethernet or whatever it is, uh, bandwidth, usually when they say bandwidth, they're talking about your layer two header and everything else in between. So bandwidth, more of an interface term, uh, packets per second, more of a forwarding engine term. All right. Thanks, guys. Damien, there you go. Some uh, valuable, valuable insight from uh, some, some uh, serious experts in the space. The next question comes from uh, Josser Amini. Um, he asks, I'm moving to a network designer position where I'll be doing 100% design, no implementation and configuration work. I have a CCNA and I'm currently studying for my CCNP. I've always wanted to go for a CCIE. So the question, will CCIE be beneficial for me or does it make more sense to pursue the CCDE instead? Rohit, you want to take that one? So pursuing CCIE always really helps. But let's say if you're going into the network design, then knowing your technology is extremely important. You may not know how to configure things, but understanding how it works, that's really going to help him in the design platform. And yes, um, CCD, CCD is a big thing. He should eventually move towards the CCD. But, but in, my, in my opinion, if I was doing a CCD, I would first become an expert in implementing and knowing the technology and then moving towards the CCD. A follow-up on that, um, this is uh, William on YouTube asked, I'm already a CCIE EI, is a second CCIE the way to go or should I pursue the CCDE? Keith, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that, you know, the longer you spend in the industry, the more is expected of you, right? And part of that expectation is that you will have, with more tenure, you'll have more experience with different technologies, different protocols, different features. Um, so going back to the previous question, I, I would definitely recommend pursuing a CCIE because as you go up the levels from CCNA to CCNP to CCIE, you're learning about 
additional protocols, additional features that you didn't even know at the lower levels. And part of an effective network architect or network designer is being able to see what's the problem and what are the various features and protocols that are available to help me solve that problem. And if you only know one or two things, but there might be five or six features or protocols available that you didn't know because you didn't get to the CCEI level or CCIE level, then you're not really serving your customer very well because you're not presenting them the full range of options of what's available. Uh, so, uh, and as far as getting a CCIE enterprise is concerned, that's awesome that you got that. By the way, congratulations, that is not easy to get. Um, but yeah, at, at that point, it's really, if you want to branch out into some other different specialty like security or data center, then absolutely you want to start pursuing those tracks. It's really based on your interest. Um, Brian, I, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Four times CCIE. Um, and, you know, what, what are your thoughts on stacking on the CCIEs versus going for a CCDE or something similar? I think it goes along with what Keith was saying that it depends on what you enjoy. So like he said, the longer that you're in the industry, the more that is expected of you, the larger the knowledge set that you're expected to have. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily personally recommend going straight for CCDE from CCMP. There's a pretty big gap in between the two of them there. Um, most of the candidates that I talk to that have gone for CCDE specify that the CCI routing and switching or the enterprise infrastructure plus the CCI service provider are kind of prerequisites for that exam. Not to say that you have to actually take that certification and, and get your CCIE in uh, enterprise infrastructure or service provider, but like Keith was saying, all those technologies, all those protocols that are covered in those blueprints, they're expected that you know how to do the implementations of them because you need to understand how the implementation works in order to properly design the network to figure out what are the different problems uh, that I can solve with different protocols or features or, you know, different types of firewalls, routers, switches, etc. Um, so in terms of the CCDE, I wouldn't necessarily recommend going straight for that jump. Uh, the second question, would I recommend getting a second CCIE? It ultimately depends on what you are interested in. So if you're going for, uh, you know, maybe data center topics and you want to learn Nexus or unified computing or ACI, then, uh, you know, typically it makes sense to go along with those exam blueprints and to, and to look at the other CCIE tracks as well as you kind of, you know, expand your knowledge base throughout the years. So while we're on the topic, um, CD watching on YouTube asked the question, CD, thanks for the question. For someone who, uh, with, who already has the CCNP enterprise, what first book would you recommend for the CCIE EI? Brian, if you just want to take that one, we'll just go, go right around the room. Brian, Rohit, Keith. Yeah, the uh, one that I really like is the series Routing TCPIP Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, they're a little bit older text now, but they cover IGP routing and BGP routing and multicast routing in, in, uh, in depth. So usually the CCMP level is a little bit short of what you would need for CCIE level of knowledge in those protocols. So I would definitely recommend uh, routing TCPIP volume one and two as a kind of tried and true text over the years. What do you think, Rohit? 
So for the CCI, any CCI track, in fact, um, I agree with Brian that TCPIP Volume 1 and Volume 2 is, is really amazing. In fact, I did that uh, when I was uh, attempting my CCI. But if you actually go to Cisco's website, there's a ton of books that they've mentioned that you should study. Now, obviously, you, it's not really possible for you to go through 20, 10, 20 books and each book is 2,000 pages, but you really have to do smart learning. Look at the blueprint, what topics they are going to be asking you questions on, and then focus on just those topics. You don't really need to go through the entire 2,000 pages. So yes, looking at the blueprint on Cisco's website, getting those books and do smart learning. Smart learning, I like it, I like it. Uh, Keith, what about you? Um, I would recommend anything that Russ White has written. I, I interviewed him on uh, INE Live a couple months ago. Uh, right now on, on Amazon, looking at his titles and for going into the CCIE uh, specifically, uh, a couple I would recommend. He's got one called Inside Cisco iOS Software Architecture. Great book for understanding how routers and switches are put together from both a software and a hardware perspective. Uh, he also has um, Practical BGP. That's my go-to book for BGP uh, stuff. So definitely those two, but just go to Amazon, look up Russ White and, and all of his books are great for preparing for the CCIE. Awesome, all right, good advice. Another question coming in from Rand Cooley. He asks, I'm looking to become a pen tester. Would it be helpful if I go for the CCNA first or just focus on pen tester cert right away? Keith, you wanna take that one? Well, so pen tester, right? Penetration testing. So uh, I will admit right off the bat that I am not penetration testing certified, so I don't know all the complexities of what's involved with that. But what I'm assuming, and my assumption could be wrong here, is uh, pen testing both uh, networking infrastructure devices as well as like software and apps that reside on servers and computers. So if you're trying to do pen testing and, you know, figure out how ways of breaking into networking devices like router switches and firewalls, then it definitely helps to understand routers and switches and firewalls and, and how they're supposed to work and how they operate and what features they support. And what better way to do that than to get some sort of networking certification like a CCNA or CCNP in those platforms. I think once you understand how they work and what they're supposed to do, it makes it a lot easier to understand what their vulnerabilities might be. <clears throat> Awesome. Uh, Rohit, any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not a pen tester also, but uh, what I would assume is that uh, a pen tester would basically connect to multiple devices, could be a networking device or maybe a software uh, operating system. So getting a basic idea of how um, a Cisco router, for example, works or a Cisco switch works, it would really help them understanding or maybe achieve their vulnerability check goals. All right, Brian? Yeah, this is actually a question that we get pretty often um, now that INE is, you know, heavily invested in the cybersecurity realm. Um, and what I would say personally is that you definitely want networking knowledge before you become a pen tester. And the reason why is that part of pen testing, there's all sorts of tools that are available out there, like Kali Linux, for example, uh, that has different types of attacks or different types of uh, reconnaissance, vulnerability checking. And the network is ultimately going to be the first line of defense that the system has against any type of intrusion. So when you're running these different tools on uh, Linux, it would make sense to understand from a networking point of view, 
what are the problems that are being introduced with these types of attacks? What are the mitigation techniques? What are the ways that I can prevent someone from uh, from doing this attack in the future? And understanding not only the tools that you would use for pen testing, but the underlying technology behind the scenes of the network, it would definitely be uh, recommended to get at least a CCNA level of knowledge in uh, routing and switching, I would say, uh, before getting into further details with pen testing. All right, great advice, guys. I, uh, I'm very busy here fielding a lot of questions. They're just pouring in. Um, so thanks to all of you who are watching on um, all the social media channels that we're streaming on. Great questions. Keep them coming in. Um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of copy and paste and listening to you guys. So uh, thanks for, thanks for the, uh, the lightning round questions. Um, I love this question that just came in from Angel, who is watching on uh, YouTube, I believe. And um, I think this is a really, really good one for you guys. Angel asks, are you as geeky as we are when it comes to having gear at home? <laughs> all of you are laughing. I think I know the answer to all of that. But uh, Rohit, why don't you take that one away? I would definitely say that I am a geek. Back in the days when we <laughs> had those big routers and switches, I had a lot of those in my house, always running, always practicing something on the live gear. And but again, things have changed. So now I don't have those. I mean, I still have them, but they're powered off somewhere in the garage. I have now two big servers, which basically run the virtual images and I practice on them. There you go. Keith, are you a geek? Yeah, I I'm, I'm sort of agree with with Rohit. You know, there you know, back in the day, several years ago, um, I bought a, a ton of Cisco equipment off of eBay and stuff, and I had my own huge rack you know, made my room about 150 degrees, uh, which was really fun <laughs> to study in. But, you know, these days I just try to virtualize everything. Um, I don't find a lot of use in having physical hardware, physical cables in my house. You know, my electric bill is high enough as it is. I don't need to add to it. So I just try to find virtualized solutions as much as possible. Yeah, just to add to Keith, um, I remember that uh, I bought my first uh, 2511, I don't even remember. Yeah, I think it was 2511 <laughs> or something, or 2501. Uh, for like $600 of eBay, I bought like four of them, or I think three of them as a package or something. And now you get like 50 of them for like $50. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, what about you? Are you a, a, a self-reclaimed geek? I used to be an equipment collector, but not anymore. Luckily, everything is virtualized now, so my family is not inundated by the number of boxes that I used to have sitting around the house. Um, but yes, I would definitely consider myself a geek. Um, I have a home lab that I play around with different technologies like virtual wireless LAN controller and uh, video server and Linux and virtual routers and switches. Um, and going along with that question, um, one of the big questions we get is, should we buy equipment for home? Uh, you know, the, like Rohit was saying, they have those CCNA, CCMP kits you can get on eBay for pretty cheap nowadays. Uh, but what I would recommend to do is to get a server or to get just a small computer, like one of those Intel NUCs, and get a bunch of memory on it and load up some virtualization and start playing around with the routers and switches in, in virtualization. All right. Three geeks. There you go. But some good advice in, in, in the mix there. Um, interesting question coming in from Ibrahim Khalil. Um, and I'd love to get your take and maybe some advice for Ibrahim or others who are in this uh, situation. 
Ibrahim says, motivated to learn but not get certified. Is that a problem? What do you think, Keith? I don't think it's a problem. Um, I mean, it, it really depends on what your overall long-term goals are. I mean, for example, if, if I was working as a network engineer uh, for an ISP or an enterprise or something, and, and I felt, you know what, my, my job is pretty secure. I've got some advancement opportunities available to me. And where I am right now doesn't require me to get certified in order to get promotions in order to move up. However, I have a personal desire to learn new things and expand my growth. Well, then absolutely, there's nothing wrong with still reading the official certification guides, reading other books, labbing, testing, and 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 uh, doing that. There's no one, you know, holding your feet to the fire to to pay the money and go get the certification. That's really only necessary if you're in a situation where you're saying, you know what, I need a certification in order to be advanced, to be promoted, in order to look for other job opportunities. Then, of course, in that situation, yeah, you pretty much have to get the certification, but there's nothing required if you're happy where you are. There's no one forcing you to get it. What do you think, Brian? Um, motivated to learn, not get certified, is that an issue? No, I don't think it's necessarily a problem. Um, what would be a bigger problem is that if you're not motivated to learn the new technologies, because uh, being in networking, things change, you know, almost on a daily basis. And the big thing is that all of us have to stay relevant in this field in order to keep going. So there's a lot of reading that we do on the side, uh, a lot of videos like Cisco live videos that I watch on the side. Uh, read a lot of books, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm preparing for any specific certification. So you don't necessarily have to take the exam, but using the certification blueprints, like Keith was saying, and the, you know, the official certification guides, uh, definitely a great resource out there for just learning new technologies. Um, Rohit, I'm curious, you're, this is just a follow-up that I'm asking, but um, if, when it comes to pursuing jobs in a professional environment um, if you don't have those certifications but you do have the knowledge how can you best convey that information to people who may be doing the hiring so it depends on the experience that you have let's say if you have 10 12 15 years of experience yeah certification may help may not but it mainly it may not help because you already have the experience to show that but let's say if you are a college graduate and you have zero experience certification definitely helps you getting your foot in the door so obviously you have to have the knowledge to to get that job to pass the interview or even retain the job but just looking at the certification, the first thing I would do, let's say if I was scanning through thousands of resumes, I would be like, okay, all of these hundred people, they do not have sort of, they, they don't have experience, but five of them have maybe a CCNP. So I would at least call them up for an interview. Maybe he passes, maybe not, maybe not. That depends on his knowledge, how much he's studied, how much he actually knows the concepts. So certification only helps to get your foot in the door. Um, I want to want to uh, pass along a shout out from the bearded IT dad who is watching right now. I want to give a shout out to you guys. Your motivation helped me go from entering the field to director of network operation in three years. So keep up the great work. Uh, love to hear comments like that. And I can see the smiles on your face. I know it means a ton to you guys uh, when you hear hear stories like that. Absolutely, that's great. Um, it helps us. I'm going to get. Yeah, I'm gonna to get to a follow-up question from the bearded IT dad. Um, 
who asked, we actually had a couple similar similar questions. A YouTube, uh, LinkedIn user asked this and the Bearded IT Dad uh, did as well. But what are your study habits for achieving your CCIEs? How much time did you devote to labs versus reading? And what are um, some of your favorite study methods? Brian, we'll start with you here. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to be consistent that you need to set small manageable goals that you can consistently hit on a daily or a weekly basis uh, about what your your particular uh, study habits are going to be so for example you know you may shoot for an hour or two of video a day and then the labs that go along with those and then before you know it you you start to chip away at the you know the big run times for some of these classes that we have um and another thing that I like to do is after watching videos to read the recommended resources to look at multiple different perspectives on a particular technology. So, you know, watch a video, read some marketing information and then do the labs on them. Uh, but the, the key really is is reinforcing over and over and over the same technologies, the same information so that you can uh, retain it long term. What do you think, Rohit? Yeah, I think that um, it's important that you spend enough time in reading and practicing. Like for me, it, it's completely different. Like I used to spend, obviously you cannot really spend five hours a day because we all have jobs. But mm -hmm. uh, when I was wanting to do a CCIE, I used to say, okay, first thing I'm gonna do is set a backward goal. So, okay, I am going to attempt, let's say in December. And then I would count the number of days that I have and then accommodate maybe like one hour a day on the on maybe the weekdays and Saturday, Sunday would be 10 to 12 hours. Um, what I would do is take one topic, read about it and lab it up. It was extremely important for me to lab something up for me to actually understand it again. Like I, like I said earlier, that you have to do smart learning, because let's say if I'm attempting a CCI, I don't need to know header level because they're not going to ask you that. They're going to ask you to how to implement that. So I would first look at implementation, understanding how it works. Once I pass my CCA, then I would go into the packet level and the header level to basically pass interviews or know more about the topic. So you really have to do smart learning. Smart learning again there. Keith, what do you think? What are your, your yeah, go-to study habits? So Brian and Rohit had some great advice there. Just to piggyback <laughs> off of Brian, um, Self-discipline is probably one of the hardest things. You know, I've, I've never been diagnosed with ADD, but I probably have it because I get distracted so very easily. Um, so you definitely need to, number one, start out by scheduling your time. You know, say to yourself, okay, from three o'clock till five o'clock every day, as an example, I'm going to devote that to studying and learning. And guaranteed, there will be things that come up at around 2.45, 2.50 that are going to try to infringe on that time. An email you want to read, you know, the latest, latest news that came across, whatever. But really be disciplined and don't let things infringe on that time frame. Um, secondly, uh, like Rohit said, when it comes to smart learning, you know, it's this might sound kind of weird, but it's been scientifically proven that the more of your senses you get involved with something, the more you retain, the more you learn. So, you know, it's one thing to read or watch a video, you know, in that case, you're, well, reading, you're just using your eyes, right? Watching a video, now you're using your eyes and your ears. But, you know, for example, use your hands. And what I mean by that is take copious notes on paper, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, I'm a huge fan of flashcards. I, I create flashcards for myself. So as I'm reading something, I will, on using like Quizlet or maybe on a piece of paper, I'll write a question to myself, write the answer on the other side. And that's a great way to retain knowledge because if you don't do something like that, you're almost guaranteed to forget what you studied a month ago. So to remember the stuff that you studied back at the beginning, you have to have those notes, you have to have those ways of constantly quizzing yourself and quizzing yourself should be part of your built-in process. You know, if you're studying once again from three to five every day, you should say, okay, for the first 20 or 30 minutes of that time, I'm gonna review myself. I'm gonna go over my quiz cards. I'm gonna review that stuff. And also just to finish up, like Rohit said, labbing is another great way of reinforcing stuff. And I always recommend to people, create your own labs. You know, use your creative mind as you're reading something and say, okay, using my topology, whatever that is, Cisco modeling labs, whatever, how could I put together what I'm reading? Um, how could I make this work? How could I break this and see what's gonna happen when I break it? So use your creativity as you're learning to help reinforce what you're studying. Smart Another thing learning. I would like to, in fact, uh, go add ahead, to go this ahead, question. Yeah, another thing I would like to add to this question would be like, find the best time that works for you, whether it's in the night or in the in early morning. Like for me, I feel extremely sleepy in the night. I cannot study in the night, but I was like an early riser. So for my CCI or any certification, I used to wake up because there's no point actually practicing while I'm at work or, you know, daytime. There's so much distraction. There's Netflix. There's so many things to do. And uh, so I used to wake up like at 5 a.m. and just do one hour. So that uh, one hour was equivalent to you doing four hours in the daytime when there's so much distraction. And I used to do that every day, wake up one hour of uh, maybe reading and 20 minutes of lab practice. So I used to do that every day, Monday to Friday, and then Saturdays spend eight hours in labbing things and reading stuff. Sundays was only uh, watching videos or maybe watching uh, movies or just enjoying myself. Now what? Now we know what you do when you're at work, Rohit. You're watching Netflix. Now you're you're busted. Caught. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's great. That's great. Um, a follow-up question. This is Peter Farkas asks, how do you manage learning and practicing time while also spending time with family? So one of those time management um, questions, how do you balance everything? Keith, you can, uh, you can take this one. We'll, we'll kind of go round robin. Okay. <laughs> um, well, yeah, you, you don't want to neglect your family because if you do, the amount you're going to be paying in alimony and child support will negate that <laughs> raise you got with your certification. Uh, so you don't want to go down that path. Great um, advice. Exactly. So, you know, just like it's imperative that you have self-discipline by saying, okay, at 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. I'm going to study or from 4 to 6 I'm going to study, the same has to hold true with your personal life. You have to be committed to saying, okay, I am going to stop working at six o'clock, 6.30, and from 6.30 to 8.30, I will eat dinner with my family, I will spank my son if I have to, and I will be there <laughs> for my family. And then, you know, and, and it's also very important to, you know, get your spouse involved with what you're doing. In other words, you need mutual commitment. You know, your spouse has to be on board with the fact that, hey, you know, I'm studying for the certification. Can we agree, you and I, that, you know, I'm going to be in my computer at my desk, you know, from eight o'clock till 930 every night. Is that OK with you? Or, you know, do you want that diamond ring? Because I have to do that, you know, that type of thing. So uh, get your family involved. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, I've never done this, but I think it's kind of a fun idea. Those quiz cards I talked about, 
have your family quiz you. I mean, nobody likes to see you fail more than your kids. So have your kids ask you the questions <laughs> and uh, read the answers back and get them involved in that process. There are so many wonderful nuggets in that one answer, Keith, that I, I just want to like deconstruct that answer and uh, <laughs> yeah, just, just read it back. I wanted to um, read a comment um, since you were talking. This is from Khalid. Just want to thank you guys a lot, especially Keith Bogart, for changing my life from a soccer player to a net Linux engineer with AWS today. Really, no words from my heart. Thank you so much. Just want to pass that along. Make sure you guys see that. Again, I know, I know you'd love to hear um, you know, the impact that, that you guys are having and really what, what people are learning and taking away um, from, from what you guys are teaching. That's awesome. Thank you, Colleen. Uh, William Chancellor writes, all right, this is a good one. Candidates using brain dumps to cheat and pass the lab exam as opposed to solely legitimate study materials is incredibly common. What are your feelings on this issue? Rohit? Well, I think these guys are not going to go far because, yeah, you may use brain dumps and cheat in the exam by knowing all the questions and, and passing the exam. But are they going to go anywhere with that? That certification is just going to be hung on the wall with probably no jobs. Even if they do get a job, they would probably be fired in like a few weeks because you cannot hide something that you, if you don't know technology, you really cannot hide that. So, so they, they are out there, but um, they don't go anywhere. Yeah. I think that's probably true. Uh, Brian, you, you uh, agree with that? I think no matter what field you're in, there's going to be people that are cheating to try to get ahead. Uh, but like what Rohit said rings true is that, you know, you might be able to get your foot in the door with HR, going through resumes with having a certification. But as soon as you sit down and do a technical interview, you know, that person is going to be able to tell whether you really know what you're talking about or not. Um, so I would say not to let the noise distract you about the brain dumps. You know, they're going to be out there. People will use them. But as long as, you know, you're honest with yourself that you're trying to learn these technologies for, you know, your, your own benefit, you're only helping yourself by not cheating, by not using the brain dumps and going a legitimate route. Yeah. But great advice. Uh, this question coming in from Sikar. Tell us about the worst outages you've created in production and how you deal with that stress. Brian, you're laughing at that one. I have a lot of great stories from customers. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of my own personal outage. I've locked myself out of so many devices remotely, uh, you know, updating access lists or stuff like that. But uh, you know you're having a bad day when your network outage makes global news. So, yeah. uh, you know, personally, I don't have a lot of outages, but I have heard some, some pretty big horror stories in the past. Yeah. What about you, Keith? <laughs> well, I brought down INE's network once. Um, so <laughs> I was probably less than one month into working at INE. Oh, no. I'd just been hired. And I was, uh, I was shown the, the production video studio and I wanted to put my own little lab rack in there. And I thought, you know what? I, I need a switch in here to connect to the production network so I can do my stuff. So, you know, without really thinking about it, I plugged a switch into the little RJ45 jack there in the wall and the whole network went down. And it turned out, you know, once again, <laughs> I didn't think about BPDU uh, guard and how that it was just 
it was very embarrassing. Uh, I'm glad I'm still here with Aini today after that. <laughs> but it taught me a very valuable lesson to think before you plug something in. Very, uh, very good lesson to learn. And we are so glad that you are still here with us, Keith, <laughs> despite a, uh, a, uh, an interesting start here. <laughs> Rohit, what about you? Your, your worst outages. Let's hear it. Confession time. Um, so the most embarrassing, I mean, I've done uh, outages before, but the most embarrassing one was, uh, I mean, the customer did not really know about it. They kind of said, what happened? I was like, I don't know. But what, what actually happened, <laughs> yeah, what Great actually answer. happened well, was that I had just achieved my first CCIE and I was doing something, I, was, I think I was configuring BGP or something I was doing for them, uh, maybe optimization or something. And, um, you know, so how I used to study for the CCIE was, that, okay, you know what, if I'm doing something, if I'm not able to verify something, I have to just reload the router without saving it. So it comes back to the previous state. And just out of habit of CCIE, I did exactly the same thing. I was like configuring something, not working. Okay, reload, don't save, no. And everything went down and they were like, what happened? And I was like, uh-oh, you know what? I <laughs> did something that I used to do in the CCIE lab studies and I did something in production that was really not good of me, but it was embarrassing. But I was like, I don't know what happened. It should come back in a minute. <laughs> So, so basically, the way you get out of it is just say, I don't know, somebody, I don't know what happened. Let me, let me investigate, <laughs> right? <laughs> those are great stories, guys. There's uh, a lot of comments coming in. People, uh, people really liking those stories. Thank you for your, your confessions of your most embarrassing moments there. Um, Alvaro Moreira asks, from a real-life perspective, Go for DevNet certs or other tracks. It seems to me DevNet is just a hype from Cisco. Of course, it's needed, but it seems it's not used or demanded by all companies. Brian, you want to uh, you want to take that DevNet certs or other tracks? Yeah, I would say that automation is definitely the hot term right now that everybody's looking into. Um, so personally, I'm looking into the DevNet stuff uh, for my own knowledge base. But if I was starting things over today, I would go for the regular CCNA and I would go for the uh, the entry level DevNet certification as well. Okay, uh, Rohit, what do you think? Yeah, I think DevNet can be helpful because automation is um, kind of becoming the next big thing. In fact, I just started learning about that, uh, learned some automation stuff and did some videos recently on that. So I think it should help. Keith, do you want to weigh in? Um, I, I agree with both Brian and, and Rohit. I think that I, I would recommend that someone start with the CCNA and then get you know your CCNP enterprise, uh, maybe get another CCNP and service provider or something just to branch out and get a, a bigger scope of knowledge. And then if you, you know, speaking about automation, um, there's lots of ways to do automation, right? There's there's DNA Center and other types of controllers which are almost entirely GUI based. And you don't need to know Python or Perl or Ruby or any scripting or anything like that in order to work with those things because it's all based on the GUI and dropdown boxes. Uh, but then again, if you're gonna be working with Ansible or something, then you knowing Python is kind of useful to be able to deconstruct some of the Ansible modules in the background. So it really depends on if you think that your role is going to involve some sort of scripting, coding technology. If you think you're going to be creating APIs or somehow working with APIs, then yes, DevNet would be useful. But if you say, you know what, 
that's not really something I'm interested in, that's not a direction I need to go in, then you probably don't need to worry about that. So on the automation front, um, Jiri asks, programmability automation is really hot these days, obviously. Do you guys study Python yet, or are you going to? Keith, you want to take that one? Oh, you would have to start with me. All right. Um, <laughs> Python is one of those things that I've started and stopped probably an uncountable number of times. Um, so I have got my feet wet with it. And at one point, I got far enough along with it that I was able to create a, a IP subnetting game. I thought, oh, that's really cool. But I was then I got distracted and forgot everything I learned. So um, if I was actually working in a role as a network engineer for a company, and once again, if I was, if my type of role require me to do some sort of repetitive tasks with the command line, and I think that's the real key word, repetitive. If, you know, if every single day when I sat down my computer, I had to log into 15 different devices and issue the same show commands and collect data and then scrape through that data looking for something, well then absolutely, I would dig into Python and figure out an easier way to do that. Um, so it, it really just depends on, you know, is your role something that, that where automation would be useful for you? Um, that's the key to that. Thanks, Keith. Um, Brian, Python? Yes, no, maybe? Yeah, I think Python is definitely a great starting place. Uh, but like Keith said, it really depends on what your use case is for. So if you can find ways that you can solve repetitive tasks, whether that be with Python or with Ansible or you know any other programming language, um, that's really what we're trying to focus on in today's networks is, is to make everything simpler, to make everything more automated, where you can just click a button and the network programs itself that's hopefully what we're all working towards, automating ourselves out of a job, basically. <laughs> Let's hope not to the uh, to the extreme extent. Rohit, uh, what do you think? Python, yes, no? So before I answer the question, I have to go back to, um, uh, back in the days when I was starting off with my career in IT, I started off with, I, with uh, programming and scripting. I did like C, C++, VB, .NET, Java. I did all of that, but scripting or any kind of programming was not my cup of tea and i moved to networking because cisco was my jam so i did that for 20 years and then it came back to bite me saying okay i need to know some kind of automation again going back to scripting so i did that i recently started learning about python and in fact, I made two courses. Uh, There's one course which is already out, the fundamentals of network automation using Python. And the next course, which is the advanced network automation using Python is coming out next week. There you go, get the plug in there. Fantastic, thanks guys. Um, so this question coming in from Stefan. I'm working as L3 tech support, but not in networking. I'm studying for a CCNA to change. Is a CCNA enough to get a job as a network engineer and not as a tech support, or should I wait and get a CCNP? What are your thoughts on this, Brian? I wouldn't recommend getting a CCNP without having any experience. Um, like Rohit was saying before, the certifications are basically just to get your foot in the door uh, with HR or with the hiring manager, and then it's going to be up to someone doing a technical interview that's really going to make a decision, you know, whether you're a fit for that, uh, that position or not. So I would say start with CCNA, 
then, you know, maybe look into the DevNet. Uh, but I, I would say without getting some experience under your belt in the real world, then, you know, CCMP may not be able to help you that much. All right, there's some advice for you, Stefan. Uh, I'm gonna switch up the format just a little bit, guys. We have uh, about 13, 12 minutes left and we have so many questions coming in. So I'm just gonna kind of lightning round it to you know, fire off questions to, uh, to each of you, different questions just so that we can get through um, as many questions as possible. I wanna uh, ask this one from Jarrett Donahue. Networking has changed a lot in the last 10 to 20 years with a much larger focus on programmability in the past few years we were just talking about. So uh, Rohit, we'll, we'll throw this one to you. How have you kept up with technologies like SD Access, SD WAN, programming, et cetera, and how has your previous experience helped with these new implementations? So what I do is anything that, th that new comes out, I start looking at documents, maybe if I can lab it up, I lab it up. So SD-WAN and programming is something that I'm currently working on. SD-Access is something that I have not. But um, I look at documentation, I try creating a lab environment for me so that I can practice on that and uh, give myself maybe a time frame, maybe a month to, uh, to get uh, to know about it enough that I can uh, maybe deploy a network or maybe uh, make use cases for it. Great, all right, thank you. Uh, Jarrett, and thank you for the question. This next question from Vignesh, uh, with new SDN techs coming in, which is followed in a lot of new vendors coming in with their products, say SD-WAN, we do have many new vendors. Is it relevant to stick with Cisco certs only? Brian? I would say that the Cisco certs are good because they teach you the fundamentals of the protocols. So regardless of what vendor that you go with, there's only a certain number of technologies that are really used out there in terms of like IPsec or GRB tunnel, something like this for SD-WAN. And if you understand how one of them works, generally you're gonna understand how the vast majority of them work. So even though you might not be tested on, uh, you know, XYZ vendors implementation, learning how protocols like BGP, OSPF work, uh, those are going to be applicable to multiple vendors out there. Awesome. Thanks for the, uh, the answer, Brian. And thank you for the question, Vignesh. Um, we'll send this one over to Keith. This is from Angel regarding networking DevNet. Any track inside INE for this topic or DevNet purely? Um, Short answer, no. <laughs> we, we don't really have a, a, a DevNet learning path. Um, you, know, you know, to be honest with you, right now, we don't have the, the in-house talent in our instructor pool that goes along with a lot of the stuff that DevNet requires. Uh, I mean, we certainly have a variety of courses out there. For example, uh, Rohit talked about his Python course that he just created. That would certainly apply towards the DevNet track. Um, and honestly, there's even some of our um, our cybersecurity and e-learn security courses that would fall into that as well. But right now, we don't have any structured track for DevNet. Hopefully, we will at some point in the future. Um, I don't know if there's any plans for that, but currently, that does not exist. All right, there you go, Angel. Answered your question. Thank you, Keith. Uh, this next question comes in from James. Rohit, we'll send this to you. What are your recommendations when it comes to cross-breeding cloud studies with networking studies, example, AWS Azure? 
Well, I am not an AWS or Azure guy, but I believe that uh, cloud is picking up a lot. And I believe INE has a lot of videos on that that they can use. Awesome. All right. The next question, we'll send this one to you, Brian. This comes in from Pawan. What is the recommended approach for CCIE EI in 2022 and the recommended sequence of trainings available on INE? So we do have what we call a learning path that is dedicated for the different certifications. Um, so if you go under the learning path, it basically gives you the curated list of the different video courses uh, that we recommend to go through. So what I would do personally would be to watch the video, go through the lab, uh, go through the recommended reading, and then circle back to that again later in your preparation where you're, you're repeating the information. So I would say that you want to give yourself enough time to at least do two passes through the learning path before you go for your ultimate certification. All right, thanks, Brian. Um, the next question, Keith will send this one over to you. This comes in uh, from Dwight. Hi, everyone. First of all, thank you for sharing the knowledge. Do you think the DevNet DevOps skill will be indispensable for the network engineer in the future? Apparently, we're sticking, sticking with you for the DevOps, all the, all the DevOps questions, Keith. Yeah, thanks for that. Appreciate that, <laughs> Catherine. We'll, we'll chat later. Um, well, you know, there's there's a lot of people out there who say uh, because of automation and development and, and uh, programming that the network engineer is going to be extinct in five or 10 years. There's not going to be any need for anybody to know the command line. I really don't think that that's the case. Um, I mean, even with self-driving cars, you still need a mechanic to know how the engine works. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and also when you think about it, you know, a lot of these 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 automation things and stuff that go into DevNet programming and scripting, that's really useful for the really large like federal governments and and university government uh, university networks and, and things like that. But that is not all the networks that exist. When you think about it, a great majority of networks in the world today are from small and medium businesses that might have two or three routers, five or six switches, um, maybe a single firewall. Do those people who hire network engineers, and they're hiring a lot of them, do those network engineers need to know scripting, automation? Are they going to purchase an $80,000 DNA center solution? Probably not. So, you know, if you're if you're working for or really want to work for a massively large network like, you know, the NSA or some uh, corporate institution, well, those networks are going to require automation because they're huge. They have a lot of repetitive tasks. And yes, DevOps and DevNet will be useful for that type of thing. Um, but you know, what are the chances that you'll get hired in a network like that when you compare that network to the hu huge quantity of much smaller networks that exist? Mm. So it really depends on where you're working, what type of network you're working in, and the size of the network as far as how valuable that type of knowledge will be. Awesome, great advice. Guys, um, we are uh, coming up on the end of our hour here. So this is a great question to close out. And I'd love to get each of your thoughts on this. This is from Angel who asks, how do you feel about the mentoring philosophy? And did you have a mentor to achieve any of your CCIE? And if so, can you talk a little about how important that person was? Brian, let's start with you. I did have a mentor for my first CCIE and it was invaluable uh, to me. So 
what I would recommend that you do is to try to find study groups or to try to find, you know, other people that have gone through the certification in the past to give you advice, um, you know, because you don't really know what to expect that day when you get into the exam if you've never even talked to a CCIE before. So definitely I would recommend to to try to find a mentor if you can while you're studying and then for use yourself to mentor others and to continue to help out uh you know uh for the same purpose share the love spread the love right share um, the love rohit what about you yeah any any important mentors in your journey i did have a mentor and that mentor is sitting right here it was brian mcginn so when I did my CCNP and I was looking at CCI, I didn't even know anything about CCI. And I actually used his workbook way back in 2002, I think. I used his workbook and I still have the hard copy printed workbook that he had uh, couriered to me uh, when I bought that. So uh, my mentor was Brian again, and in fact, he still is. Wow, that's fantastic. That, that's fantastic. Um, Keith, what about you? Yeah, I did as well. I mean, back when I got my CCIE, I, I was working at Cisco. I was in the TAC. And so I had the luxury of being surrounded by by all these experts. And I pestered them nonstop with questions. Uh, you know, I would see their facial expressions as I approached their cube. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to ask him a question anyway. Um, but that also goes along with my recommendation that if you can try to find at least four or five people that can serve as your mentor. Because if you just have one person and you're pestering that person with six or eight questions a day, you're probably not gonna have a mentor very long. So if you can find five or six people that are really well-versed in the technology or technologies that you're learning, then you can spread out your questions and you're not inundating any one individual. Great stuff and, and great insight into um, you know what you guys have been through and how you have become so successful. Um, that wraps it up for us today. I want to thank each of you, Brian, Keith, Rohit, for being on this, um, this stream and for answering so many great questions. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. And a big thanks to our audience as well for all of the fantastic questions, getting involved. Love, love to see that. Thank you. That wraps up today's stream. If you missed it live, you can look for a replay across our social channels and on the INE website. You can look for us again live next Tuesday, December 7th, for a very special Hack the Holiday stream with INE's Director of Cyber Content, Jack Reedy, and our newest cyber instructor, Brian Olaf. From scam shopping sites to credit card skimmers to the increased threat of holiday phishing schemes, we are getting you cyber prepared to stay safe and secure this holiday season. Be sure to like and subscribe on the social media platform you're using so you can stay in the loop for details on next week and notifications when we do go live. As always, get those questions ready and bring them to the stream. We'll see you next time. Until then, have a great week.